June 9th, 2023. Food for thought. Greetings, everyone. I'm back with a little mini tidbit for all the listeners. I actually had lost my voice for about 10 days, having something, perhaps tonsillitis, laryngitis. Of course, diagnosis only really matters if you're looking at it from the emotional conflict perspective. But anyway, I'm back now. I'm taking an early morning hike at one of my new favorite places to do hiking. It's um, smelling really good here. It smells like gardenia, actually, which is pretty nice considering what we've had going on in Canada the last couple of days with these wildfires. The uh, air quality the last day or two, not today, but the air quality the last day or two was just, it was hella smoky. It was just like very thick, almost like fog-like, but with a haze when you went outside and it didn't smell very good at first. I thought someone was just lighting up their barbecue and kind of burning off all the sludge from the prior season. But then I realized that it was um, this event that had gone on. And of course, I don't really look at the the news. So I kind of just, you know, heard it through the pipeline of what was going on. But um, I'm fortunate to be in an area here that doesn't really smell too bad or feel too bad to be outside today and it smells really good like I said here you hear the birds chirping in the background Um, so yeah food for thought I wanted to just do a little tidbit today talking a little bit about food from an ancestral perspective a real ancestral perspective and also focusing in a little bit on foods that would be appropriate essentially for everybody but more so for the 15% of the population that is RH negative. Now, if anyone's familiar with the blood type diets, they really only focus on the 85% of the population who is rhesus positive, and that would be regardless of type A, O, B, or AB. And some of that information is is so-so, I think. I think it has some merit, like every, every uh Uh, dietary you know discipline has some type of merit but I think a lot of it misses the mark when it comes to talking about a diet for RH negative and of course like many of you know if anyone has RH negative blood uh, you have to have white or Europid or Aryan ancestry there's no way around it it's the blood of our people some people say it's the blood of the gods the blood of the Nephilim there's a lot of theories out there alien blood it's a mutation. That's one of my least favorite ones out there. That's uh, That just sounds like slander to me personally. Um, but yeah, let's get into this. Let's talk a little bit about RH negative um, food that would be appropriate for RH negative. And it's really just foods that are ancient foods and ancestrally European foods, which really overall would be appropriate for all of us. But for those of us who don't have this protein on the blood, because that's essentially what it is when you're RH negative, you lack uh, certain proteins on your blood. You still have a few proteins, I believe, unless, of course, you have that exceedingly rare blood called RH null, which I think there's only a few humans in the world who have that. That's a whole different story altogether. So today we're just going to focus on RH negative um, diet for people who are having uh, this type of blood. So the RH, um, um, the RH or the rhesus coming from the rhesus monkey, that's kind of weird when you think about the whole out of Africa thing. Not that I believe that, but if that was true, it would certainly be more true for people who are RH positive than RH negative. But I don't believe in that out of Africa anyway. I think that's a, a really um, a cruel 
a cruel joke to, to, to everybody. So the rhesus or RH factor is a protein that is present on the surface of most people's red blood cells. According to the Nemours Foundation, about 85% of humans are RH positive. So the RH negative diet is largely the work of a lady named Dr. Laura Power, the creator of the biotype diets. This in itself, the biotype diets, I think have to somewhat do with body type. That's a whole different conversation, but she's the one who created this idea of the RH negative diets because Dr. Diadamo, Peter Diadamo, who's passed now, who's the inventor of the RH positive diets or the blood type diets, essentially, his son is now taking over the business. But like I said, it's based on rhesus factor positive, and sometimes there's a little bit of more in that where they talk about secretor or non-secretor. That's another factor on top of the rhesus factor. A secretor is someone who secretes a small amount of blood in all of their body fluid, tears, saliva, semen, etc., you know, yoni juice, and then a non-secretor would be someone who doesn't excrete blood in um, those bodily fluids, like mucus would be another one. Most people tend to be secretor, and being a non-secretor, I think, is more rare, just like being RH negative is rare. So according to Dr. Power, RH negative blood, the red blood cells which are without the RH factor, developed only among the isolated communities of the French and Spanish Pyrenees and have the highest propensity for food allergies, necessitating, necessitating a special diet. Now when I hear food allergies, I just think that the older your blood, the more sensitive you're going to be to modern sludge. And there's many reasons why someone might have an allergy, um, a pollen allergy or an allergy to like cat hair or something like that. That is very different than having an allergy to a modern Zog food, which essentially is just, quote, food in quotation marks, a, a toxin. It would be normal that someone would mount a reaction to something like that. Of course, there's emotional reasons why someone might have an allergy to something. It could be that they were fed it years ago and they had uh, something else happen at the same time and they've associated that with that reaction. And when it comes to having an allergy to, let's say, something in the environment, that's because of something in the environment is actually triggering a detox in the body because the body is in a state of uh, organ lag, uh, low metabolic function, and the environment, which these things have been in the environment for forever, right, before us, it's uh, kindly trying to, pardon me, <clears throat> get those toxins out of your system. So that's what that is when someone has um, an allergy to something in the in environment. It's actually a gift that you're being given to get these toxins and sludge out of your system. So the RH negative diet <clears throat> is based on the other major classifications of blood, O, A, E, <clears throat> B, or AB. So those are ones that are the most common blood types, of course. And if you develop your diet around your blood type, you should begin by focusing, of course, first on your type and then finding out if you're, of course, RH negative or RH positive. It always zoggles my mind that so many people don't even have a clue what blood type they are. Like, I've known since I was a kid what type of blood I have, and usually only people who have a medical condition or are really into their health, or if they're, you know, blood donors, um, that's another reason they would know. The blood donation thing has gotten so, so zoggy that um, now they're offering people, if you donate, you'll be enrolled in 
a uh, sweepstakes or a promotion to win like a Best Buy gift card or an Amazon Primate gift card. Uh, just if you donate, uh, it is so mind-zoggling. I did it once, like two years ago. They never stopped calling and they never stopped emailing until I just said, please don't call me again. I'm not in a position to be doing this. Uh, and then just unsubscribe. But they are relentless, especially since Oyed AI and the blood had been toxified to another degree of toxification. <clears throat> wow. It's, um, it's really vampiric. So according to Dr. Power, the lady who developed this um, Rh-negative uh, blood type uh, diet specification, <clears throat> the evolution of Rh-negative blood in Western Europe explains why the blood type fares best with, you guessed it, Western European foods. And of course here she mentions um, French and Spanish Pyrenees, but now in, in current day, there are four areas that have the most uh, concentration of Rh-negative blood. That would be the Basque, that would be, I believe, the Canary Islands, uh, the Berbers, which are mountains in northern Africa, Morocco, and the British Isles. But of course, you could be from anywhere in the world and have it, but that's the highest concentration. And in regards to the Basque of, uh, of Spain, they have the highest concentration of O negative blood. So within the directives of the ABO blood type diet, RH negative individuals should eat a variety of meats, and poultry, and seafood, European fruits and vegetables, roots, tubers, and seeds. In addition to the limitations imposed by the ABO blood type, Rh-negative individuals should also avoid certain foods in these categories to which they may be allergic or hypersensitive. And like I said, an allergy could be to a food could be for many reasons. Oftentimes people develop allergies as they get older because their body becomes more toxic. They don't have them when they're younger or like I said it could be the result of emotional conflict or something like that. So these are all things to consider. And I know here it says seeds. Uh, seeds of course in the ancestral context we ate them in much smaller amounts than people currently do nowadays. I personally find seeds and nuts hard to digest, especially if they're in their whole form. If they're in the form of, of butters, which we probably didn't have access to back in the day unless we were stone grinding them, I find them a little bit easier to eat, but or to digest rather. But in general, that would be a seasonal thing. And think about like the holidays when you were a youngster, maybe if you remember this, if you were raised like in an Italian household or just European in general, there would be nuts out around the holiday time, fresh nuts in the shell, and there would be you know, a nutcracker to open them up as opposed to, you know, sitting on your haunches in front of the Talmud vision and, you know, feasting on like a cup of almonds. So just saying. So a little bit there about what the bulk of the diet is. It would be most people kind of consider this diet to be a paleo diet, but it would really depend on the ratios of what you were eating if it was considered that. But it tends to veer more towards what could also be considered an animal-based diet. All these labels are kind of shit for brains type of thing. You really have to figure out what works for you, uh, what amounts of foods work for you, what ratios work for you, what time of the day it works for you. This is all individualized stuff. So in general, uh, based on this study in 2007, they were doing experiments based on uh, food um, allergic responses to food based on blood type. And they found with Rh negative blood that it reacts most severely to eggs, milk and cheese, nuts, beans, and gluten. 
And here we're not told were those eggs, you know, battery eggs where the chickens were being abused and fed the worst diet in the world? Was that milk and cheese pasteurized and from A1 hybridized miscegenated uh, cattle? Uh, what was the condition of the nuts? Were they soaked? Were they sprouted? Were the beans heirloom beans or were they just regular canned beans? Was the gluten um, hybridized franken gluten or was it something like einkorn or spelt? So we don't know any of this data, of course. Maybe it was just the regular zoggy stuff, and that would make sense that anybody would feel like shit eating that type of stuff. So, I mean, I eat some of these foods, and I feel pretty okay with it. I eat eggs that are pastured. Uh, I don't do the soy-free eggs, and I don't recommend the soy-free eggs because the soy-free eggs have fish meal, and the fish meal is high in heavy metals. So why would I want to eat something that's high in heavy metals? I already avoid certain types of fish and canned food on a whole because of the heavy metals. Now, milk and cheese, if it's raw, that's very much part of an ancestral diet. Given we became uh, more acclimated to more dairy in the diet as we became more agrarian, and when we were living more in a um, kind of a hunter-gatherer way, we would have been relying on more meats and seafoods for our main sustenance. But I see no issue with, with raw dairy, especially if it's A2. So that would be A2 cattle. I personally don't do well with the A2 cow dairy, so I don't really uh, consume it for the most part, especially the milk. I'll do a little bit of the cheese here and there. And the butter seems to be okay, or the ghee. But I mainly do um, goat some people like sheep. I'm not too keen on the sheep dairy. I find it to be a little gamey and a little heavy. So that's how I would approach the whole milk or dairy thing. Um, if anyone's eating dairy in general, you really have to be aware that eating the stuff on the regular that is A1 or pasteurized, you're not doing your body um, any favors whatsoever. And that's not part of an ancestral diet. Now with the nuts, of course, same thing with the seeds. You'd want to have them soaked or sprouted or, you know, fresh out of the shell, perhaps smoothed out in the form of a nut butter to have them be kind of like more of a, you know, a lean or a small part of the diet. And then with, um, with beans, I think eating more heirloom beans would be a better uh, move. And of course, you know, making them fresh yourself um, doesn't take that much work. You soak them, cook them for about an hour and a half, cook them really, really soft. And maybe beans are also more of an agrarian food, but we live in these modern zoggy-zog times, and oftentimes we need something like beans to facilitate the removal of toxins through our, our butt. So eating things like beans actually do make kind of like a modern, um, make modern sense. But you don't have to go hog wild or zog wild and eat too many of them, especially the ones that are more starchy, because you could actually dehydrate yourself or make yourself more constipated. So for someone like me, I like to have about one serving of beans per day, usually midday these days, and they're always the soft type and they're cooked really, really well. And I eat about a half a cup um, with, of course, some form of protein because Beans are not protein, um, they are a carbohydrate. Anyone who thinks they're a protein is, uh, is, is misdirected. And then finally, gluten. Gluten, of course, could, like I said, einkorn, spelt, uh, farro. It could be any one of these things. It could be the franken-glyphosated wheat. In general, a good rule of thumb is to not eat wheat outside the house. Of course, then you have the uh, conundrum of eating it with the you know uh, metal filings, the iron filings that are in it. Um, and then, of course, it's probably not going to be fermented or sourdough. So in general, a lot of people feel better with less wheat and less grains in their diet uh, in general. 
So that's something that you may want to look into, right? If we're thinking about what the ideal diet is for um, Europeans. So a little bit there about, um, about that and how we react to certain foods. And then just to round it out, um, there's a little bit here in regards to different types. There's nothing here for AB negative, unfortunately. That is a very, very rare blood type. Even being AB plus is rare unto itself if you're rhesus positive. That's very rare. Um, I did meet one person in my life who was AB negative many years ago, but it's, um, it's rare to meet people who are either AB negative or AB plus. But in general, to the guidelines that I already went over having this Western European diet, just to reiterate, it would be a diet that would have a variety of meats. And by meats, we mean ruminant meats. So that would be beef and bison and lamb and goat um, and maybe like mutton sheep meat that's you know essentially what meats mean poultry of course would be chicken you know fowl chicken and turkey and uh, duck and goose and guinea hen seafood of course would be all the shellfish it'd be shrimp and lobster and crab and mussels and oysters and clams and you know flounder and, and cod and uh, octopus a squid of course you have to figure out which one of these work for you within your whole thing and I tend to not eat too many of the fishes that are fattier like um, the tuna or the salmon or the fishes that are higher in mercury tuna I do like a little bit of tuna salad of course with homemade mayonnaise because every mayonnaise on the market is absolute zio sludge uh, salmon I don't eat too often because of the highly unsaturated oils being thyroid suppressive and I'm just not really a tremendous fan of it anyway. And then, of course, European fruits and vegetables, which I think we know what that means. That would be fruits and vegetables that grow in a temperate climate. And then roots, of course, and then tubers and seeds. And also note, too, that the nightshade vegetables that came to Europe, I'm not sure when they came to Europe. Oh, it's, it's rather recent in history. I think it was in the last... 300, 400 years, I'm talking about tomatoes and peppers and potatoes and eggplant. And yes, a lot of European cuisines have made these very rich aspects of their cuisine. I think of Eastern Europe, especially Hungary. They are in love with nightshades. I think of um, uh, Italy, Southern Italy and areas like that in Spain. They love tomatoes. I think of the British Isles. They love potatoes, but know that these are not um, originally indigenous to um, Europe. They're actually indigenous to the New World, or I guess what we we call the New World, it's not really a fair way to call it, but um, basically they were indigenous to, you know, areas of, of South America, which of course our people had had time in there from the research I've done, you know, before before the Aztecs, we think of um, Quetzalcoatl and the stories of, you know, the white feathered god and the white snake god. And of course our people have a tradition with you know, the snake and the Kundalini, and then we think of St. Patrick's driving out the snakes out of... Um, out of Ireland and how that was basically, you know, to make everyone, you know, Christian. So there's a, we have a rich history everywhere, but when we're talking about this diet that is a Western European diet, know that it's going to be um, seasonal. So it's going to vary depending on the season and it's going to work around the European fruits and vegetables more than, you know, ones that aren't European. And then finally, just a little bit of this, just a little bit about what foods may work in general more so for different types. So if you are, RH, um, if you're RH negative and you're A negative, I myself am A negative, uh, this work that Dr. Laura Power has done says that A negative humans should do less fruit. 
and then it says that B or O negative humans should do more protein and that overall all Rh negative individuals should do fewer grains. So not just gluten, but fewer grains in, in general and get their carbohydrates from other sources, of course, roots, tubers, fruits. And even though beans aren't ancestral, like I said, living in these modern zoggy zog times, I think that the beans do serve a purpose to get out some of those um, compounds like the xenoestrogens, like even breathing in this zog fog for the last couple of days with this this crap that's been going on. I mean, I think eating a serving of beans is, is a wise decision to make. So that's pretty much all I have for today on this little tidbit, food for thought, talking about um, the ideal diet for RH negative, which in general would probably be a pretty good diet, like I said in the beginning of this, for all humans, especially humans of, of Aryan ancestry. I know sometimes we get into habits that stray us away from that, or we grew up with different ways of thinking about this, or we get completely inculcated with all the zoggery on YouTube or Instagroid and, you know, following these quotes influencers, one of my least favorite words, probably less favorite than the word selfie or twerking or ratchet. These words are just terrible. But um, think about this. Think about uh, optimizing yourself and utilizing food. And also remember that food is not an end-all, be-all. It plays a large role, of course, in how you feel and how you look without your threads on, how you look with your threads on. But it's not an end-all, be-all. There's also other stuff that's really important besides food. I've been learning a lot in the last couple of, of weeks, just kind of really um, becoming very insular with all this information and um, taking it in, waiting for it to digest before I, I share it with um, other humans on the broadcast. But I've been learning a lot about uh, this modality called uh, quantum lifestyle or quantum nutrition. And it has a lot to do with resetting our circadian rhythms. Of course, you know, using good food in the context of that, but the importance of morning sun, the importance of seeing the sunrise if you can, seeing the sunset, not wearing sunglasses, and when you are inside during the day, mitigating the blue light by wearing a pair of blue light blocker glasses on the AM, and then mitigating the light in the PM by wearing a pair of PM blue blockers. And I've only been doing this literally for like I don't know, the last like four-ish days and I've already noticed a very good change in myself. And this is something that you don't have to buy, you know, the next supplement, the next piece of exercise equipment, the next, you know, the next whatever, you know, waste your money and have this go into your supplement graveyard or your fitness equipment graveyard. This is something that our ancestors naturally did and naturally knew to do, but nowadays we're so inculcated with blue light. Of course, many of us grew up with blue light, even if we weren't internet kids. If we're 80s kids, we still grew up with lots of fluorescent lights inside the house. We grew up with the Talmud vision, but nowadays we're seeing all of these hormonal issues happen a lot younger to a lot of youngsters. And one of the factors is just one. There's, of course, you know, it's a conglomerate effect, but one of these factors is having a really messed up circadian in rhythm and people could be doing all the things and then wondering why their hormones are still imbalanced, why they can't lose weight, why they feel like shit and it really comes down to not having good light hygiene. So in the context of having a really good diet that's you know racially appropriate, we also have to think about you know working in and having a, a light hygiene routine where we maximize outdoor light and you know natural light during the day and then we block artificial light inside during the day and inside in the evening and then we'll be able to feel so much better 
uh, more effortly take off the pounds, have better sleep. People are always wondering why they can't sleep. Insomnia is a lifestyle disease. And then they're utilizing all these supplements and all these herbs and all these stimulants trying to get sleep. You know, they start the day first thing straight away. They look at their mobile device. They make themselves a cup of coffee and they wonder why they feel absolutely horrible. And then during the end of the day, they've been looking at their mobile the entire day, not blocking blue light, uh, living under fluorescent lights during the day, uh, having all this blue light slam them. And then they wonder why they need to like smoke all this weed or drink all this alcohol in the evening, binge on sugar, whatever it is, because their circadian rhythm is in the toilet. So a lot of interesting information will be upcoming on the broadcast, just a little snippet to just whet everyone's appetite, say hello to everybody. So I'm going to get back on my walk right now um, and enjoy my day. Happy Friday to everyone. I hope you're having an amazing day wherever you are in this big white world and we'll be connecting again soon. Satnam everybody.